Greetings, everybody. It's Adi Boumanye, and you are finally tuning in for another episode of Just a Reminder Boxing Talk. Now, I'm sorry to have kept you guys or to have kept you guys away for so long. I was busy studying for my life insurance license, which I obtained last week successfully. <laughs> I was studying in agony. I'm so glad that it's over. And granted, that's going to take up a good amount of my time and could get me very far. As I hope, at least. I do have the time to focus on this podcast more, which I'm grateful for. Now, today, I'm bringing my buddy Tanner Gill back on here for our third interview together because I figured this would be a perfect time to get together, actually. In fact, we had delayed a time to meet up on this pod again a total of two times before this. It's good to have you again, Tanner, especially because we've had to delay our third meeting a couple times it seems yeah man we've had some uh <laughs> some scheduling conflicts but there's no better time to talk boxing than yeah, absolutely. the biggest fight of the last several years so absolutely and um i actually wanted to meet with you like last sunday i believe but i feel like now that everything's happened i feel like this is the perfect opportunity to do it yeah we've got a lot to talk about uh i think originally we were going to talk taylor lopez but since yes, then, we've yes. had it, uh, Inouye Fulton and Spence Crawford. So, boxing yes, uh, red hot right now, man. Absolutely. Um. So let's jump into the obvious. Um. Now you're in a way, and Terrence Crawford, I feel, are instant first ballot Hall of Famers, and uh, both looked absolutely insane this past week. Uh, so let's start off with Fulton. Fulton and Inouye, how did you feel about that fight? Um. You know. I. So. Going into the fight, um, I mean, let me just preface this with saying I'm I'm a huge Inouye fan. Um, you know, he's, in my opinion, he's been top five pound for pound for probably five years. Um, I, I thought that maybe at 122, jumping straight in against uh, undefeated unified champ, who's a big 122 in Fulton, uh, you know, I I didn't I didn't really know how that was going to go. I thought the size would would trouble him, uh, and I couldn't have been more wrong about that. Um, I mean, I I picked Anui just because he's like he's impossible to pick against, um, but I I didn't expect a one sided blowout like we got. Uh, Absolutely, just yeah, just sure. insane. Insane that he was able to to, I mean he he took the life out of Fulton. It's, it's crazy because both the Anui and Crawford fights, like the fight started and, and ended with the jab. I think Anui yeah took yeah. took the life out of Fulton, took the fight out of him with the jab. Everything else came off of that, and it was pretty much the same story for Crawford. Yeah, and both guys outclassed like elite opponents. Like it's not like Fulton and Spence are are like subpar fighters. They're A level fighters. They are. Uh, they were they were just they were just in there with guys who are A plus level fighters. It was uh Yeah, seriously. But no, I'm I'm really impressed with Anui. Um I, I'm a I'm a little disappointed with uh you know the, the boxing fandom afterwards, you know, talking um, about fights like Anui versus versus tank and dude i was actually a lot of like real real casual takes i had that, that in the performance. to ask you I'll, 
How you felt about uh, the people wanting him to jump up to lightweight? No, I think it's ridiculous. I, I, uh, I mean, you saw the weigh-ins for the Fulton fight. Anui would have to gain weight to fight at 135. He would. You know, it's, not, it's, not, it's not like he walks around at, at you know, 135, 138 and cuts down to, to 122. We're talking about no. a guy who, who maybe, maybe gets as high as 126, you know, maybe. I, I do want to say, though, I feel like he filled out 122 good, but, yeah, that's that's like – Yeah, I mean, and, you know, it's like the size comparison could have been, you know, you know, uh, Fulton is a big 122. So, you know, the size comparison, you know, given the scale, not every super bantamweight is as big as Fulton. So, you know, maybe – Maybe he is a, a, a good size 122. His power definitely carried up. Oh, absolutely. To what? Hey, I, I honestly, I think that's his fourth divisional title. But yes. if I'm not mistaken, it might be like his sixth division. I think I know he skipped fifth. a division. I believe, I believe it's his fifth. Fifth competed in, but he skipped one, right? I was just looking at that the other day. I actually don't think he skipped a division. I think uh, he skipped one of them in the sense like he didn't compete for a title. But I don't Got think it. he actually skipped skipped a, t- a division. Still, it's it's impressive. Um, the only person you know in in history that I've ever seen move up that many divisions and and carry the same kind of fight stopping power is Manny Pacquiao. So. Which. Uh, Absolutely, and that kind of um, brings me to that that thing we were just talking about with the lightweights because they're like, well, if Manny Pacquiao did it, I don't think those people realize, like, Anui, if I'm not mistaken, had an established, like, amateur record and all that, whereas Manny Pacquiao began as a malnourished kid, so obviously he was going to go through all those divisions. I mean, he didn't have to go through as many as he did, but still. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Manny... Manny, the, the way Manny's built, um, he's de- he's definitely able to carry more weight than a guy like oh, yeah. he is. Um, I, I I remember when Manny fought Margarito for a hundred and fifty four pound title. Um, that was a beautiful they, performance. Might have been a catch weight of fifty two or something like that. I think one fifty, and Manny still showed. Manny up came like in at forty four. It was like yeah, one forty four. Yeah, uh, which is like under the weight class of the weight class below. So <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it, it, I mean, in my opinion, in my opinion, Manny Pacquiao is like top five pound for pound all time. Maybe, yeah. maybe top three um so for for Inui to even get mentioned you know in, in the same breath as Manny for uh comparable accomplishments is like you know you're in great company at that point absolutely um the last thing I want to say about that because you basically said everything there is to be said I do want to say um I think it's pretty harsh seeing the way like Inui has naysayers just in the sense that like He's not American, but he still fights everybody. Like he has a very like fan friendly style, but he also has um a to the enthusiasts like you and I. But that said, all these like naysayers that I was just referring to, they went from writing him off as someone that just has power and no skill, to just uh very evidently saying they want to see him lose by talking about him versus people way bigger than him. Yeah, it's uh, 
I, I mean, we've talked about this before. Boxing fans are are kind of fickle, man. It's just <laughs> I don't know. It's if, just um, just the way it is. I don't remember this fight, but I remember Larry Merchant while Pernell Whitaker was at 147 asked if he was going to go up and fight Roy Jones at 168. That's what that reminds me of. Yeah, it's, you know, and I, I think it speaks to to how good, I mean, look, Tank Davis, uh, at best, you know, I don't think anybody is looking at Tank Davis moving down to 130. No. And, and, and 130 is still two divisions higher than where Anui's fighting. Tank is probably going to, you know, make his home at 35, but he's fought above 135, I think, twice in his last three fights, maybe last four fights. Um, The Barrios fight and the Garcia fight were both above 135 pounds. So, like, if you're having to travel that far outside of the division, you know, like, come on, man. Like, you're you're obviously – you just want to see a guy get beat. And you're talking about a great fighter, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think those said people are probably going to appreciate Anui more like once he's not in the sport anymore. Now, I do think fights with guys like uh, Robisi Ramirez and um, I mean, if Navarrete wanted to move back down to 26, I think those fights are, are realistic for Anui. I think... I but I really yeah. believe he I really believe he tops out at 126. I did too. Didn't um, he say that actually? I think he so. probably he probably did. And he's you know he's 29 now. You know he's not the 21 year old kid that that blew onto the scene when we first started hearing about him. You know he's yeah he's he's a he's a grown man. Um, the lighter those lighter divisions like you and I have talked about this with Chocolatito. In my opinion, one of the things that made Chocolatito so great was that late career resurgence because with these little guys, I mean, it's one day they're in their prime, and the next day they're not because the prime, you know, these guys usually don't don't stick around to 32, 33 at, at the world championship level when you're when you're that little because the the higher you get in weight classes, the less uh the less those like fast twitch muscle reflexes matter. The lower you get, the more they matter. So you get to be 33, 34 at 118 pounds and you lose just that fraction of a step. It doesn't matter if you're more skilled than the other guy. He's going to go out out there and he's going to beat you to the punch because he's younger and he's fresher and he's faster. And, uh, you know, you get up to, to heavyweights and like, as long as you can take a punch and, and give a punch still, that's why we see heavyweights uh, rule in the division into 35, 36, 37, even 40 like, years old because like the reflexes matter less. <laughs> look at Zong. Look at who? Zong. I don't know. It was Eli Zong, the guy that beat Joe Joyce. Oh, yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Him, uh, I mean, even uh, even Wilder. Wilder was in his yeah, late thirties yeah. for for a big chunk of his of his reign. Uh, the Klitschko's were dominating the division at you know 38, 39, 40 years old. True that. Um, it's uh, and, and then at at one seventy five, better be if he's like that dude's pushing forty, and 
nobody seems to be knocking him off anytime soon. Yeah, no. I actually it's... read today. Um, I didn't see. I only saw one person post about it, so I don't know how true it is. I heard um, his fight with Callum Smith got delayed, which I'm pretty upset about just because I not to hate on Callum Smith or anything. He's a great puncher. He's a pretty good boxer, but um, I feel like people are kind of overestimating Smith in that fight. Um, you know, <laughs> I I I'm I kind of think. I, I don't I you know I'm not confident enough to say that it's a closer fight than than you would expect but I think if the right Callum Smith shows up I think that it can be a a very competitive fight um Smith has good timing and 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 good punch placement and uh, better be as you know he he's been caught before Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, but but on the flip side of that, I I don't know how sturdy Callum Smith is, and better be have just chips away at everybody until they break. Yeah, for sure. And um, just look at how early he gave as much respect as he did to Canelo Alvarez. Like, even though Canelo was basically the best fighter in the world, or one of the best fighters in the world at the time, still is. Um, I don't think he hits nearly as hard as Better Bev, and he made Smith disengage for what, like ten something rounds. So, yeah, yeah, yeah no, I, I agree. I, I mean, I bad fight, you know. I think no, no. Smith, I think Smith is a respectable challenger. Obviously, everybody. Uh, prefers the Bivol better be a fight, which I it's, do too. It's really <laughs> sad that politics, like boxing politics and worldly politics, isn't giving us that fight. You know, somebody just told me maybe just a couple of minutes ago that the WBC is refusing to sanction that undisputed fight because of uh, the war in, in Ukraine. Yeah, is that is that true? I remember reading about that um, like a month or so ago, and Bob Arum said something similar. Which, I which mean, that makes my me opinion, worry. my opinion on that is it's that's Russian on Russian crime. Let them fight, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously, and it's not like they're out in Russia killing Ukrainians. And not to mention, if they're gonna have that agenda about that fight, why not just strip them of their titles? It doesn't make sense to be like. They can fight anybody but each other. Yeah, that's 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 a bizarre but one to me. It now. is, but but um, I do want to ask you um your thoughts on Terence Crawford and Errol Spence last night, which I want to add. I've only been a boxing fan since 2016. That was the biggest event that I can name that I've been able to wait in my time as a boxing fan. I'm so glad that I did and. It went the way I expected, but it also went in ways I did not expect. So, how did you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, I, I I think it's pretty safe to say that those of us that picked Crawford to win um, didn't expect him to win uh, so spectacularly. Oh right? my gosh, no, no, absolutely not. Like, I mean that. I mean, fight fans have been clamoring for this fight since before Crawford. I think Crawford beat Jeff Horn in in 2016. 
that was 2017 or 18. Uh, might have been 2017. Uh, but regardless, they were talking about Spence versus Crawford before Crawford even moved up, right? Yes, yes, they were. So, like, boxing fans have been for five, six years. They're both they're both top five pound for pound fighters. Um, Spence has never really shown any real vulnerability. Uh, you know, he's had some brief moments of uh, of controversy or you know or uh, of trouble in his fights, but they were like fleeting moments, and he was back in control. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, it it was just so weird to see him just completely out of a fight. Just in, like I, I I can't put I can't put into words like how great of a performance that was by oh, no. by Terence Crawford. Like it's it in the history of boxing, it's an all time great championship performance. It is, and some people might say I'm stuck in the now, especially upon me admitting I haven't been a fan for nearly as long as someone like you. But I feel like Terrence Crawford uh, has earned the right as maybe a top 10 Hall of Famer. He's definitely a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, He's definitely a top five welterweight all time. It's such a stacked division, though. You know, you you think of guys like Leonard, Hearns, uh, Duran, Floyd, Manny, you know, like such a stacked division it's probably the greatest division in the history of boxing maybe i'd have to say so i would have to say so so like but he's definitely a you know top five top ten welterweight all time he's definitely the greatest of of this era like yes this is how surprised i was by the performance coming off the heels of the anui fulton fight i told several people it doesn't matter what happens saturday anui is pound for pound number one and I like I have to retract that statement just based on on that performance because it's it, it, it was it was insane. I, I never in a million years expected whoever won the Crawford Spence fight to top what Anui did and and Crawford did. Yeah, no, um, that's pretty powerful, especially because you said no matter what. Um, I remember. Uh... At the start of the month, you and I spoke on the phone, and I agreed with uh, your little breakdown that you gave me. I I thought that Spence was going to shine in the first half, and it was going to look like for like four or five rounds he might be running away from the fight, uh, with the fight. But um, Crawford's going to find his shots, do what he does, break them down, and stop them late. But no, it was a pillar to post beatdown. I thought literally all of Crawford's assets, from like his speed, power jab defense precision all of that was at at its peak that night yeah it was it was crazy you know and like you know normally you watch Crawford and he he flicks you know he flicks the jab out there um you know just to to keep the the spacing and distance that he wants rarely does I don't want to say he has a bad jab because you know he's always had a good jab but the mainly utilized it uh, you know, as a, a to keep his distance in his range. So for him to come out in the southpaw stance and turn the, that jab into the fight-altering weapon was like it was great strategy. It's great coaching. His trainer Bomack caught a lot of disrespect heading into this fight. So you know he went out there and he out-coached the the coach of the year. 
Derek James, yeah. is, a ph- Derek James is a phenomenal trainer, but you, you have to give, you have to give Bo Mack his, his flowers, man. He's the, he's been the, the lifelong coach of, of the guy of this era. So yeah, he deserves absolutely all of that. All of the flowers that one could give him. Um, Something about Crawford's jab was not even just the fact it hit so hard, just the timing of it. Like, Spence really couldn't get past it. I noticed in round two, they were just... I think the reach had to do with it, but the speed was getting Crawford there to, um, first. Sorry, kind of tripped over my words. But um, anytime, like, Spence uh, got hurt, like, later in the fight, he'd try to, like, go back in for vengeance. But uh, Crawford would stop him in his tracks with the jab. It was beautiful. Yeah, I mean, it was, like, I never want, like, okay, the way I saw the fight going, like, you and I talked about this. Prior to the fight, my my thing was, okay, Spence is, like, really good at what he does. Moving forward, high guard, doesn't take a ton of punishment, thudding jab, chips away at the body, uh, a lot of pressure. Like, he's as good as it gets at that, you know, so, like, He's, he's really good at racking up the rounds. So I expected him to rack up the rounds, but I also acknowledge that prior to this fight even, that Terrence Crawford is not just one of the best finishers of this era. He's an all-time great finisher. Yes, he is. And he's, and he's got an ability. He's got a special ability to sneak in shots, quick shots, powerful shots that either, you know, come from an odd angle or you don't see it come in. Um, he he sneaks him in there better than, than anybody. And I thought, you know, eventually Spence is going to, you know, get into a routine and he's, you know, he's going to be moving forward and Crawford would run him into something that would change the complexion of the fight. I didn't expect Crawford's speed and jab to change the fight from round two on, you know, like, um, I, I didn't see Crawford out jabbing Spence. I didn't see yeah. I didn't see Crawford backing Spence up. Um, it, I I don't. If anybody tells you they saw that fight playing out that way, they're they're lying. Even if they picked Crawford, they didn't pick him to win like that. <laughs> yeah, no, no. And um, something about Spence, like, cause just a reminder, Crawford did that to an elite athlete of today. He didn't just do that to an ordinary fighter on this. As highly as I think of Spence, I didn't realize um, when he goes like and shoots straight, straight to the body, he dips his head down like low and off center. And uh, Crawford took advantage of that, and that's what caused the first knockdown. And he he did that all night. Spence never fixed that. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, Crawford, even at almost thirty six years old still has the fastest hands in the division. He's got the best timing. Um, you, if it, it's, it's a 12 round fight. So like he's the kind of guy who's going to pick up on those mistakes. And we've seen in fights where like he didn't pick up on it right away. You think about fights like um, the mean machine fight or the Benavides fight where like they were closer than, than you expected them to be until they weren't. Yeah, uh, but he still read those mistakes and still made the adjustment and finished the guy. Yes, um, he's he's the best at that. He's he might be the best finisher at welterweight 
ever. I'd say either him or um, Leonard or Hearns, really. And that's a massive achievement in my eyes to be compared to them at welterweight. Because in my opinion, I feel like they're the two most unbeatable welterweights like of all time. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to pick against them in, in head-to-head matchups. and um, But I... You 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 gotta you gotta put Terrence Crawford in that conversation though, and yeah, it's absolutely. it's crazy it's crazy how overnight he went from oh look at his level of competition you know and uh, you know yeah he did this but look who he did it against to now even his biggest detractors have to acknowledge that he's a great fighter yeah. Uh, People are those same pre- people are praising his resume now, and I'm actually very impressed and satisfied by the lack of excuses. Yeah, you know you you grow. You know if you if you stick around boxing fans long enough, you grow accustomed to uh, an abundance of excuses in situations like this. And yeah, yeah, I think Errol Spence coming out and saying, uh, you know, Bud was the better man last night. Uh, probably played a big role in there. I think that um, I do want to say, um, going back to something you said earlier in this pod, um, like Anui and Crawford, like I think young fighters need to watch both of their last, um, both of their last performances and like realize that the jab is key, and not just the fact that the jab is key. Like, look how accomplished they are with that punch and all the other ones that they do have, like. The jab can get them a long way, is what I'm trying to say. Jab will take you around the world. That's what Ab- they say. Absolutely. Um, speaking of jabs, someone who has maybe the greatest jab I've ever seen, Isaac Cruz. That fight <laughs> night, man. <laughs> if you've ever seen Isaac Cruz uh, throw a jab, <laughs> then uh, you know you you're gonna be the man to find Bigfoot and the Loch Ness monster because. You're the only person that's ever seen it. It's like as crazy as seeing Huey Fury throw an actual punch. <laughs> no, hey, actually, um, I think you, I think you and I talked about this prior to the fight uh, about how Cabrera had a style that could that could trouble Cruz. Yes, and I don't know if everybody saw what I saw, but I think there's an argument to be made. That Cabrera won six or seven rounds in that fight. Uh, there are some people that say that, but I personally didn't think so. I think he did take some rounds, but at the same time, um, in the second half at least, I saw Cabrera fighting like someone that just wants to be in there, not necessarily someone that was trying to win. Like, for instance, he was throwing these like tappy flurries, and I'll still score taps if they actually land, but he was aiming directly at Cruz's guard. And I, I didn't count those. I mean, granted, the dude showed on a, a rock-solid chin. He took those punches very well. But um, there wasn't really anything I saw that won him more than maybe four, five rounds at max, in my opinion. But that's just me. Yeah. Uh, I, I'll say this. I, I'm i not the biggest fan of, of Cruz's style. Um, the limitations were there, yeah. I, I think his... I think his reputation is is mainly built on having a good night on a night that Tank Davis had an off night, and uh, 
Yeah, I just I, I I'm not comfortable placing him with elite lightweights. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, no. Um, granted, I don't see Frank Martin and Keyshawn Davis fighting next. I'd I'd actually like to see Frank Martin fight him, especially because um, Frank Martin just had the hardest fight of his life. I feel like that'd be a good move for both, actually. Yeah, it would be a good move, and then you know, at this point, I don't know that you can justify putting either of them uh, in there with Tank Davis. No. Uh, and they're both both of them are potential Tank Davis opponents. Um, so yeah, I think a head to head matchup does a service to the winner when it comes to getting uh, the money fight in the division. Make no mistake yeah, about it, Tank Davis is the money fight at 135 pounds. Yes, he is. You know what? Since I mentioned Frank Martin and we were just talking about Errol Spence and uh, Derek James, who just a reminder did have a phenomenal year last year. Um, there's a couple things I want to talk about with his stable. So I saw something today. It was actually a very Anthony Joshua and Dillian White's rematch has been just a fight to me. But um, some guy that I respect, uh, Woody Cockburn, I think his name is speculates that maybe this fight might be like revenge for white in the sense that aj has his mental battles as we know and like i i honestly feel like that first ruiz fight changed him also he speculates like the camp's just gonna have such a negative energy upon their biggest guy in the sense of like stock and all that just lost do you think that's uh true like like the aj fight might actually backfire um you know, I don't, I don't know because – so while we see all these fighters in the Derek James camp post pictures together, the truth is is that, that you know, actual fight camps are, are so individualized that, um, you know, it, it, Spence won't even be in the gym, you know. Uh, Anthony Joshua will be will – be, surrounded by heavyweight sparring partners he'll have Derek James's one-on-one attention um you know it, it could have like an effect on morale for James but you got to think these coaches so traditional coaches get 10% of the fighter's purse um Anthony Joshua fights for millions and millions of dollars so He's like so this is a very, very important job for Derek, and he would be doing everybody a disservice if he let Spence's performance affect the kind of job he did with Anthony Joshua. I I, I don't know Derek personally, um, but I suspect that being an elite-level trainer that he's able to separate himself from, from last night and, and go to work for Anthony Joshua like it was any other day at the office. Yeah, I would hope so. I thought it was an interesting point, but even upon reading that and thinking about it for a bit, I still have Joshua knocking out White. I know that he's re- um, revered to more of like a, a pure boxer now, but I still have him stopping White again. Yeah, I, I, I would, I would agree with that. I would take, I would take Joshua uh, via KO over Dillian White at this stage. This rematch is two to three years expired yeah Um, maybe maybe longer um but uh with the heavyweight titles tied up it's it's really about as 
good of a fight as you can put together outside of Joshua Wilder. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? Um, that brings me to something I want to bring, I mean, mention later, but since we're talking about Derek James and his stable now, the fight I absolutely wanted next, the fight that Crawford wanted next, I believe, was Jermel Charlo, which I don't think that's going to happen, obviously, but um, how do you feel about that unexpected move with uh, Canelo in September? Um, you know, I, if, if Jermel Charlo was jumping two divisions to fight a career 168, uh, you know, I think there, I think the talk about size and weight, uh, would be justified, but Canelo Alvarez fought at 154 pounds at the same exact time Jermel Charlo did. Yeah, he did. Um, I, I don't think Canelo has gained so much size that he's significantly bigger than Jermel and that it's going to be a huge factor in the fight. If anything, they're probably the exact same size kind of guys. It's just Jermel was still cutting a bunch of weight and Canelo wasn't, you know. Um, and then, you know, neither of them will be cutting a bunch of weight for oh. – Oh no! For this fight, I, I think it's a more interesting fight than people give it credit for. So, yeah, for sure. It's just I, um, it's just disappointing knowing that Jamel, like for what it's worth, never got adjusted to one sixty or one sixty eight. So I'm curious to how he'll be able to take the punches, especially because I don't think he's faced a puncher like Canelo. But that said, I do think it is a better fight than people are giving credit for like you said like some people think it's like Spence versus Mikey all over again no no I think it's um I mean look I think Jermel can 168 exactly the same way he could have if him and Canelo fought at 154 so um you're right it's it's an interesting fight you know Jermel Charlo I, I was never a big fan um he's kind of grown on me over the last couple of years. Uh, I'm, I'm actually pulling for him in the fight. And I think I am, I am too. Always. I think Canelo has been a pro for like 15, 20 years. And I don't know how old he is now, but I know he turned pro at 15. So, you know, he's got to be over 15 years. He's an old fighter. And so He's got he's got a lot of miles on him, and a lot of those fights were twelve round world title fights with serious serious training camps. He's got a lot of miles on those tires, and you know it's boxing. Eventually, um, everybody gets caught, and Charlo has the kind of timing and patience that you know he could be the one to do it. I think I absolutely think so too. Um, another thing is. I don't think Canelo looked good in any of his last three performances. Granted, one of them was against one of the best boxers alive, Dimitri Bavol. But um, now Bavol's not regarded as like a giant puncher like Betterbia, for example. But at the same time, even though he wasn't beating him pillar to post per se, he landed a lot of big shots on the head of Canelo, and he's considerably bigger. So I kind of speculate that fight took something out of him a bit. Yeah, you know, it's it's really hard to say. I mean, if you take the the uh, Bivol, Ryder, and Golovkin fights, all of them into account, uh, it's 
very easy to make an argument that, uh, you know, Canelo may be on the back nine. But yeah, yeah, and he's at, at least in age, you know, he's still fairly young, even though we just talked about how many miles he has. Um, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. Um, I, I don't think this was the fight that was originally going to be made. No, uh, no. I think it was definitely a backup plan. But I, I think it's an interesting fight. I, it, I don't, I don't understand the, the hate that it gets. You know, it's not like, it's, it's not so like Jermel's fi- jumping up and fighting, uh, you know, better Biev or, you know, he's he's fighting yeah, a no. guy who's roughly the same size as him. Yes, for sure. And um, should that brings me to another point? Should um, Charlo like? successfully like outbox him or whatever get a decision do you think like let's say he's allowed to keep his titles at 154 do you think he'll be able to cut weight still to make it back down to 154 for a showdown with Crawford well so I if you're asking does he have will he have the ability uh yes I think he will oftentimes what we see in situations like this where guys jump up and retain titles in lower divisions and they're expected to go back down. Often what we see is that win or lose, like they, they feel better. They're not killing themselves during training camp, cutting all the weight. And uh, it changes how they feel about cutting weight emotionally. Um, So, you know, they, they either, uh, most of them decide not to move back down, you know, Uh, (laughs) Just because win or lose, they, they see the difference in, in their bodies. Um, I'm, I'm kind of a proponent of doing away with weight cutting in, in all combat sports because I think it's, yeah. I think it's dangerous. Um, as somebody who spent a lot of his youth cutting weight, it's like it's just a miserable experience. And it's hard for me to believe that you can be your absolute best less than 24 hours after dehydrating your body to the point of breaking. Um, you know, having 24 hours to, to rehydrate is just not enough time. And I want to see the, the, the best box. I want to see the best boxers at their very best. And but on, I don't know that we can get there with extreme weight cutting. Absolutely. Like look at Virgil Ortiz prime example of, what weight cutting can do. Yeah. His, I mean, his career is in shambles right now. You know, he's been on the sidelines. There's no real direction of where he goes next. And, uh, and it's real possible. He becomes one of the biggest what ifs of this generation. Yeah. I mean, if he can't find a way to get healthy and, and, and get back, um, yeah, it could be a, a promising career that people are like, what happened to this guy? Now, I do want to say, um, and I, I'm not trying to hate or, like, slander somebody that was just hospitalized because I've been a fan of Virgil for years. But um, if you look on his tweets, because you know how boxing fans are, just always digging up stuff on Twitter and Instagram and all that. Um, the dude talks about, like, eating unhealthy stuff all the time. So I do think maybe discipline could have played a part into that. But, I mean, still, at the end of the day, like you said, 
weight cutting is very dangerous. Talking about Jamal Cholo, I got to say, man, uh, I tip my hat to you. You really slapped the dog out of his brother, man. <laughs> oh, man, that that was uh, – hey, but look, I, I think if, if, uh, if Jamal can get healthy – I think that that leads to a great fight. Um, you know, I think it, it definitely builds a fight. I I kind of got some shit in one boxing group because I thought it was in in poor taste, um, considering that that Jamal is going through a very public breakup and um, nursing a, a career threatening injury. Um, but you know, I don't know what transpired before that that made Caleb want to slap him. So. Uh, refresh me. Um, what what's his injury again? I'm not denying anything, but he had a back injury. Oh, I somehow forgot about that. Jeez. Yeah, it's why it's a big reason why he's been out for so long. Well, I hope he can bounce back from that. That's crazy. But um, how how would you see um, a welcoming party to 168 for Jamal if he did get Caleb Plant to be that guy to welcome welcome him? Um, you know, I think. I, I think I would take Caleb uh, by decision. But I also realized, like, if that's Caleb's next fight, um, he's in a very troubling situation where, like, this could potentially be your third loss in a row. And at, at that point, you know, or I guess wouldn't be third in a row. The Darrell fight was between Canelo and Benavidez, wasn't it? Yes. But yes. three in the last four in your three biggest fights, um, not not a good look. Uh, but with that said, I, I we've seen uh, Jamal struggle with with guys who can box and move and yes. guys that have a good jab. Um, I think I, I think you know, gun to my head right now. All things considered, new weight class for Charlo, um, layoff injury. Uh, personal problems. I, I'm taking Caleb by a, a probably like a 118, 110 type decision. Oh dang! Which yeah. is very possible. Um, you know, some else with weight cutting is I noticed like some guys like they might have um big bursts of power. Like Terrence Crawford, for example, like in his third weight class, seems to be hitting harder than ever. Whereas some guys might move up and uh, the power just won't carry. So I say that to say, um, I don't know if you know Guillermo Cervantes. He said he would predict Jamal to knock out Caleb Plant in like the middle rounds and speculates that Jamal at 168 would hit harder than Canelo or Benavidez. How do you feel about that? Uh, I mean, Jamal's a big puncher. So, um, yeah, if he, if he's at one, if, okay, if we're, Talking about the hypothetical scenario of him moving up to 168 and the lack of the weight cut increasing his power, yeah, I would say he probably would have bigger one-shot power than Benavidez or Canelo. Yeah, perhaps, which um, I do want to say people um, really dismissed Jamal's power because of all the times he hit Monsiel and Monsiel didn't go as much as down compared to when Munguia blasted him out in two, but... Um, Derevianchenko claims that Charlo hit harder, which uh, I got to say, man, I'm glad you said what you did about that fight. I'm glad I watched uh, Mungia versus Derevianchenko. That was incredible. Oh, that was an absolute war. It's probably fight of the year. Yeah. Um, 
which Mungia, I have opinions on him. I was happy for him when uh, he first stepped on the scene. I always, I mean, I rooted for him for a while. I got to say, I write him off as someone that's in it for the fame or the money, I should say, not the glory. But at the same time, the kid's fun to watch. That fight was, yeah, arguably fight of the year. Yeah, uh, you know, I think you could probably go back and find some old posts of of me defending Mungia um, when he was the world champion at 154 pounds. Um, you know, he won that belt at such a young age. Um, you know, and people were instantly talking about crossover fights against other world champions. And I thought Golden Boy played it right where they had him defend that belt against mandatory challengers or the guys next up in the WBO rankings. And he defended it like five or six times in a 12-month span. And for a young champion, I think like, I think that's the perfect strategy. Um, I agree. You don't, don't want to kill a guy uh, too early, you know. When you got a twenty-one-year-old world champion, you know you don't you don't want to throw him in immediately against the other undefeated world champion. You know, no matter how bad people want to see it. Um, it doesn't make business sense, and it's not necessarily good for the development of your fighter. With that said, Mungia was still a world champion, was expected to fight world champion level opposition. But people got to remember at the time, all the 154s were, you know, the Charlos, uh, Lara, Jared Hurd, um, Austin, Tra- all those guys were at were at PBC. Like, yeah, there were no other fights for him besides his WBO mandatories yeah so um i thought they played that right now since then um i think the matchmaking has been lacking you know he uh, daryevchenko was far and away his best opponent um he should have had a fight like that i will credit him that the liam smith win has aged well but i mean aside from that and sergey daryevchenko what else could you really like pinpoint on that resume yeah, I mean, really nothing, you know. And what makes it more frustrating is I do honestly believe, like, he shows continuous improvements upon uh, joining Eric Morales' stable. But, like like we said, the better opponents just have not really been there except for last time. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what they do with him because, I mean, he's overdue for for – a 50-50 fight. Now, like real boxing fans knew that the Daryevchenko fight really was a 50-50 fight um, skill-wise, but it just yeah. it didn't appear so on paper because Daryevchenko has come up just short in his biggest fights. Yeah, so. which one can make a case that um, Daryevchenko nicked that fight, but I mean, years ago, I'd have picked him to like really out-hustle Munguia, like clear decision, maybe even stop him. So that just brings me back to that point I was making that he's improved. So I tip my hat to him. Yeah, man. Now, now I'm gonna have to go back and watch that fight again. That oh, you should. Really you, you know what? Um, Neri and Hovenisian. Did you watch that one? I know Neri's like a risky subject to some, but that fight was incredible. Oh, uh, you know, I don't think I saw that fight. Oh my gosh, you need to. And like I said, Neri's a controversial figure, but take like the bad like um image he has away he's a damn good boxer man yeah near, near you know there was a point in time where 
uh, Neary looked like he was going to just be a, an absolute murderer. I thought for a while he was the only person that had a chance with Inouye, which I regret that because I recognize now Inouye would have scorched him, but... Oh, well, I don't think you were. I don't think you were alone in that opinion. Oh no, I don't think so either. I don't think that opinion aged well, but, but no, he did. He did look problematic, like you said. Yeah, um, you know, I saw an interesting post last night about uh, Tiafimo Lopez moving up another division to fight Terrence Crawford. I that was funny. I I don't know if you saw the same one I did, but um. Wait, did you see someone post it, or was it a quote from his dad? Because his dad said that he's ready for his son to fight the winner. You know, I'm I'm not, after watching Tio's last fight, I'm not against it. Well, I I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world, but, um, you know, what's funny is I was literally about to bring up Tio Fimo, because it's, it's impressive we talked this long without bringing that, up that performance, but um, that said... Um, I still want to see him fight like the Devin Haney's and the Gervonta Davises, but I wouldn't absolutely hate that fight now. Yeah, I mean, I think the Devin Haney fight, I think that's a great fight to put together. I don't think a Gervonta Davis fight is realistic, um, given the promotional yeah, issues. No. And um, There's definitely fights for T.O. at 40, Pro Gray, Matias, um, you know, there's there's no lack of fights for him at 140, uh, but just hypothetically speaking, if if he could go up and he could pull it off, just like wow, <laughs> that'd be absolutely insane. And uh, I don't think we saw the best Josh Josh Taylor that night. Like I don't think that was the same Taylor that beat Progre, for example. But um, I think T- excuse me, TL showed like the it factor and the style that he would always have. Yeah, you know, I, it was tough to say if, you know, what version of Taylor that was, was because, I mean, the T.O. looked so good. Yes, um, yes, he did. It's, it's, for me, it's, it's hard to say, but, uh, I was extremely happy for Lopez. Yeah, uh, me too. I think that that performance shows kind of, why people were so excited about him after the Lomachenko fight because he oh yeah he he is he's capable of beating great fighters and you know what um I don't always agree with the statement that one's all one's only as good as the last fight because I entitle everyone to off nights that said if you look at Teofimo's last outing versus Kim Kimbosos last outing I think um that puts that argument to rest that Kimbosos was not the better fighter. He just caught him at the right time. Yeah, look, that that was the best version of Cambosis versus a not-so-great version of it wasn't, Lopez. Did you get to watch the video? It was a pretty enjoyable video, not going to lie. Um, Bill Haney was being interviewed, and then uh, Teofimo Lopez came up and talked to him. Teofimo Lopez Sr. came up and talked to him. Did you get to see that one? I didn't see that. You know, I don't. I don't consume a whole lot of boxing media anymore. Oh uh, no, I, I don't but either. I'm, but I'm sure I'm sure it was interesting. Yeah, it was. Um, see, the thing is, um, the young guys in particular, like Lopez Haney, like they talk a lot on Twitter. But what we failed to take into account is like these guys and their trainers alike. They have a lot of respect for each other. So Bill Haney was asked to break down um Lopez and Taylor, and he was like. 
I think that we got to see the old Gordo back in the amateur days when he was like boxing rather than just going for the knockout. And uh, we're going to see something spectacular if that's the case. And then Lopez Sr. came up. He's like, oh, you guys are never, you guys have never seen anything like what you're about to see. We're going to outbox the shit out of this dude, which I was skeptical at the time because I didn't know if maybe Lopez had it still. But um, he was right. And it was yeah, cool man, they, respect they, they give each other. They called their shot. And uh, that I, I, we we're just talking about. Bud Crawford's performance—you can't discount Teofimo's Lopez's performance. That was a that was a phenomenal performance as well. Absolutely, so, I felt like that put him back on the pound for pound list. Yeah, I think there's. De- I mean, look, Josh Taylor. There, there's no way to make an argument that Taylor didn't deserve to be. Oh, absolutely not. And you move up a division and knock that guy off. You belong there too. Absolutely. Um, you know what? While we're on the the subject of 140, like I said, one's only as good as the last fight. Um, before um, Progress last fight, I would have picked him to stop Caney. But um, that off night he just had against uh, Zarilla, and he showed a serious inability to cut off the ring. I think that fight, seeming that it's next, um, is pretty. How do you feel about Haney versus Progress? I, I don't know that I would. Um... I don't think I'm gonna give. I don't think I'm gonna give Progre a round against Devin Haney. Oh my gosh, geez. Yeah, I think Devin Haney is gonna jab Progre around the ring. I think that's possible. I think, given that Progre like, um, what word am I looking for? Just like holes aside, I think he is very strong and fast and pretty athletic. I think he might like. Give Haney a couple like interesting, scary moments, maybe, but he'll probably get outboxed. Yeah, I think I think Haney's going to be too fast, too sharp. Um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, you know, it's boxing. Anybody can get caught. We did see Lomachenko catch Haney with some left hands, um, but I don't think Progre has the layers to his game that that you need to to win rounds against Devin yeah, Haney. Perhaps not. Something I do want to say is um um how I mentioned his disability to cut off the ring. I don't think that Haney has the type of power, especially at 140, that he'd respect like he did Zorilla, but at the same time, Zorilla doesn't really have all the fundamentals that Haney did either, especially not the jab. Yeah, I mean, I don't see Haney stopping him. Um, you know, I think it's definitely a 12 round fight, uh, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting fight and it's a great, it's, I mean, it's a great matchup. Um, I just, maybe, maybe I'm not as high on pro gray as, as some people are. Uh, he just, he hasn't shown me the layers and, and wrinkles to his game that you need, uh, to be able to, to, for one. He would need to sucker Devin Haney into some exchanges to to land a big left hand, and I, Haney won't do that. I don't think he can do that. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree with you. Granted, I don't think maybe it'll be as wide as you say, but I, I'd have to agree with your overall like prediction. Yeah, I think that's a 
a Devin Haney unanimous decision type fight. There's a couple more fights that I would like to ask you about before we wrap this up. And both of these fights um, are very exciting and have fight of the year potential written all over them. So how do you feel about Navarrete and Valdez? Oh, man, that's a... Uh... Sorry, that car was really loud. No, no, it's okay. I, I do. <laughs> uh, that's a great fight. Um, it's a that's an all action fight. Uh, both guys are are very good, but flawed fighters. Yes. Um, I think I, I think I'll take Navarrete via late stoppage. I think he'll. I agree. I think he'll find a way to bust Valdez up late. Now, um, yeah, I agree. Now, you know, Navarrete, uh, what was it, the Liam Wilson fight? Yes. You know, he looked vulnerable in that fight. But, like, look, Liam Wilson is a massive 130. I was going to say, he's definitely bigger than uh, Valdez. And he's better than anybody would give him credit for. Absolutely. Uh, so... And that's a credit to him for doing as good as he did against Navarrete, actually. Not rather than the flip side that people look at it like as where how bad Navarrete did in comparison. So, Yeah, I would uh, – yeah, I think I'll, t- I'll take Navarrete. Like, I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm a fan of, of Navarrete. I love his, his um, style. You know, where he just my favorite since uh, the first Dog Bay fight. Yeah, I think I remember told, telling you that Navarrete was everything that you thought Miguel Burchelt was. Which, you know what? That brings me to something I was going to say. Um, I don't think Oscar has looked good since the Stevenson fight. I mean, Stevenson, just a reminder, is one of the best boxers out there, period. But um, I'm kind of easy on him when I say he hasn't looked good since then because, I mean, he's fought. Uh, oh, you know what? Who was the guy he fought beforehand? The Brazilian guy? Um, well, he hasn't been fighting a style that he likes to fight, like the pure boxers and the movers now he's gonna fight someone that he likes to fight against Navarrete that said um my guy Burchell could not drop him or failed to whatever but Valdez has still been down several times against inferior guys yeah I think prior to the Burchell fight or the Stevenson fight, I think we went over uh we went over it and he had been dropped him I think maybe like six times in his career at that point yeah yeah a bantamweight dropped him at one point too yeah, so uh, Valdez is fun to watch, and, and he's a good fighter, um, but he's he's vulnerable as well. I'll take yeah. yeah, I'll take I'll take Navarrete somewhere between eight and eleven. Absolutely, Mike. As good as I felt he did look against Burchell, um, he those same improvements didn't seem to like really linger with him after the fact. Like he's backtracked, in my opinion. Yeah, Burchell was kind of tailor-made for for Valdez. Um, you know, Burchell if was you know to Navarrete uh, was a guy who overwhelmed you with his size and volume. Um, the difference being that Navarrete does it while being a lot more defensively responsible. Um, so to have a, a short guy with with short arms that is a counter puncher. Um, it was my opinion that eventually somebody like Burchett was going to run into somebody like that and they were going to capitalize on those flaws. It just happened to be Oscar Valdez. I think capitalizing on 
against Navarrete will be a lot harder for Valdez because um, Navarrete doesn't present as many openings as Burchell did. I personally, as open-mindedly as possible, kind of thought Burchell was drained going into that fight. I'm not saying he wouldn't have lost, but I felt he was drained. But I think he's going to fight Navarrete at his best. And like you said, it's going to be harder to capitalize because of that. Yeah, I mean, no, look, uh, you wouldn't have been alone. I, I, I think I was probably in the minority picking Valdez in that fight. I mean, Burchell, by all appearances, looked like a monster. Um, there was a lot to like there. He just, he had some, some fundamental flaws that at the, I mean, he had defended his belt a bunch of times and yeah, at, the champ- at, at the championship level, you, you can only get away with those flaws for so long. Like, I think I kept, I think I, you know, you and I talked about, it, I kept betting against him, you know, regardless of who it was, because I, I knew eventually it was going to be somebody, um, it just, it just happened to be Valdez. I thought he perfected his style in the Sosa fight. And I mean, granted, Sosa was smaller and retired after. I thought he perfected his style. Like, he rolled under some shots and such. So, showed a bit of upper body movement. But, um, yeah, that wasn't there in the Valdez fight at all. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a tough fight, isn't it? Yeah, it's, uh... yeah. We haven't really seen Burchell back to himself since then either. I honestly, um, I think he's training now. I think like taking that layoff was the best thing he could have done. But um, I really wouldn't be surprised if he just looks bad again next time out. Well, didn't he? He lost another fight after that. Yeah, to Nakatila or Nakatila. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And um, the last fight I'd like to ask you about, I know you're going to love this one, um, Sabriel Matias and Sergey Lipinets. Yeah, um, so, you know, five, six years ago, like, that's just an all-out war, you know. Um, in today's world, I think Matias is going to beat him up. I think, um, I think so, too. I think it's going to be interesting to... Like if, if there's one thing we've learned about Matias is that you can't fight him fire with fire. No, like, no. To beat him, you're gonna have to outbox him. If you engage in a in a firefight with him, he's he's gonna hurt you. He's gonna break you down over multiple rounds, and it's it's gonna be a really long night for you. Um, I don't see how Lipinets could out could could outfox him and outbox him like that. I no, I think he'll engage fight. he'll engage in a fight with Matias and he'll end up on the wrong side of a of a of a stoppage. I think so too. And the thing is um I take nothing away from Lipinets because he's a good fighter. Um I feel like people amp him off of the fact of who he lost to because Mikey Garcia was one of the best fighters in the world when he beat him and uh Jerron Ennis is who he is, but at the same time, like Clayton arguably beat him, and uh, that Asian guy that he won that vacant title from. I'm not saying Lipinets lost, but that was closer than really anyone gave it credit for, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, I Lipinets is is somebody I haven't given a, a ton of thought to in in recent years, um, so I would have to kind of review his his resume. Um, but you, you know, you're, uh, you're probably 
spot on there. Um, and I don't think he can hang with a with a prime Matias. So I don't even like I said, it's going to be interesting to see like when or if he can stop him. Whereas like Mikey Garcia didn't. I mean, granted Garcia is smaller than the, excuse me, Matias, but still. Yeah, Matias is. Uh, he's got that kind of that Spence better BF thing where they just yeah, yeah. chip away at you and just take the life out of you. Um, yeah. It, it, you can't, the, the, the only, the only people that are going to be able to beat that guy are going to be guys that can stick and move for 12 rounds. So absolutely. And like last time we talked about pro gray facing Matias and uh, you kind of talked me into seeing like a possible victory for Matias. But like I said, if one truly is only as good as the last fight, I know Matias and Zorilla don't fight alike at all. Um, I think Matias can definitely beat him now. Yeah, I'm. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna disagree there. Um, you know, because Progray's kind of got a rough and, and rugged style. You know, he's not out there slipping punches and countering guys. You know, he's taking it to you, and it's just really hard to pick against Matias in fights like that. Oh, oh, I really hope you don't mind me, but um. I know I said this was the last fight, but um, there were two things that I forgot about just because my head was so cloudy. So, um, number one, um, how do you feel about this new Fury fight? In my opinion, it's really impossible to defend him at this point, especially with what he did to Usyk. Um, you know, it's there's kind of two ways that I look at it. Uh, you know, I look at it as a boxing fan. Am I extremely disappointed that we're not getting the Usyk fight in a undisputed world heavyweight champion. Yeah. And I think Fury Fury was clearly the one who, who didn't want to make that fight happen. Absolutely. Um, I think there's no question about that. The other hand, I'm not going to sit here and rag on, on Fury versus Ngano. I, first off, I don't think it's competitive. I don't think it's a real, you know, I don't think it's a real fight. Uh, you know, I think Fury's going to mop him. I think it's probably, you know, for the history books, it's like it's a waste of time. But I've seen what these crossover fights, oh, what, not, what influencer fights and stuff like that have, have done for boxing. So, I, you know, I'm not going to hate on it too much because both guys are going to make a lot of money. It's going to draw a lot of interest. Um, but... It's it's a little from a fan's perspective. It's it's disappointing. Um, I'll I'll say that. I think you summarized it perfectly. But yeah, I, I see Fury totally shutting him out in that fight. Oh, it's it's not even going to be close. Yeah, no. And um, just a reminder, like you said, Fury was the one at fault for the Usyk fight, not falling through. That is. Yeah, that's. I I don't think there there's any doubt about not, that. If they do end up actually fighting, I'll, I'll totally be pulling for Usyk just because he's so likable, whereas Fury, in my opinion, is pretty easy to dislike. And uh, I just happen to like Usyk's style more. I think Fury waffles back and forth from being hard to dislike to being hard to like. Um, I think he can find himself in... in both territories depending oh, on, yeah. on, I, on what day it is. Um, I, I personally, I would probably pull for Usyk as well. I, I thought you make a post about this years ago. Now, 
Now we know um uh how the White and Fury fight went years after the fact and uh Lewis Barrett, who's one of the funniest people ever, was like it's funny how White got knocked out by a push that was cleverly disguised by an uppercut to the chin, or disguised as an uppercut to the chin. But um, you posted about how uh, Fury was like, I feel like White is one of the best names in the heavyweight division. We should fight for, like, a eliminator. Then he got that eliminator set. He's like, I'm not fighting White. He's a bum. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm almost positive that I made an entire post about predictions um yes you did you know where you know one second he'll say one i mean look he's i he's tyson fury you know at at this point we've just we've we've come to expect it you know he'll one second deontay wilder's a bum that doesn't belong in the ring with him and the next second you know oh he'll beat everybody in the division besides me he's a great heavyweight you know so yeah that's crazy um you know one second he's a fighting man and you know he fights for legacy he doesn't care about the money he's giving his money away and then the next second he's fighting francis Ngannou because they're making a hundred million dollars so exactly and um that brings me to my last subject um i gotta say your boy Duran ennis he looked phenomenal in perhaps like his most important fight yet in my opinion and uh, how would you see, like, an ultimate mega, like, boxing match between him and Crawford going? You know, if you would have asked me this question prior to last night, I would have said that Crawford and Ennis share a lot of the same qualities. The difference being that Ennis is younger, sh- bigger, stronger, maybe faster, um, so that I – it would have led me to feel like it was a bad matchup for Crawford just because Crawford's almost 36 years old. Um, after last night's performance, like it's, it's really hard for me to say drawn it. Cause I've, I've been, I've been of the stance that uh, drawn in his beats Crawford and Spence for probably two years now. Um, but it, after that performance from Crawford last night, it's it's really hard to stay in, in that position. Um, Understand. Do, do I think it's a far more competitive fight than what we saw last night? I do, just because. I think so. Ennis, Ennis has a lot more layers to his game than Spence does. Um, it's it's interesting. Um, I won't say, I, right now I won't say that I'm picking drawn in this over Terrence Crawford out of respect for what Crawford achieved last night. Um, but my, my tactical boxing brain, it just still acknowledges that there's a, a lot of issues that drawn in his poses for, for Terrence Crawford. I think he poses a lot of issues too. And I think he might give Crawford the fight that I thought Spence was going to, but I, I ultimately am choosing Crawford in that one. Yeah, I mean, if it, you know, who's to say? If it if it happens tomorrow, you know, Crawford's got all the big fight experience. He's coming off of a career-defining win, you know, against another pound-for-pound fighter. Um, that that means something, you know. Yeah. Uh, it would be Ennis's first world title fight for all the marbles, like. Um. But I will say I, I I don't expect to see the fight. 
I don't either, but it, it would just be great to see. That's honestly the last fight I would want to see from Crawford at 147 if he were not to move up next. Yeah, I mean, I, I, look, there's a rematch clause. Um, I think they have like six months to make the Spence rematch. I think Spence needs at least six months off with the amount of damage he took uh, last okay. night. Um, but I'm fairly certain that Spence and Crawford's both of their next fights will be at 154, regardless of if it's against each other. I think so too. Um, I think that's the best move um, that they can make, especially Spence. Um, I can see Spence coming back and doing something serious, but I think Crawford is just some guy he should move past, like because one can't beat all of them. Yeah, yeah. This era where you know you can't lose and still be a great fighter, and it's just that's just nonsense. Errol Spence, you know, achieved a lot. He's beaten several world champions. He unified three of the belts in the toughest division in boxing. Um, you know, Errol Spence is, is is a great fighter. You know, is there a version of Errol Spence that can beat Bud Crawford? I I really don't think so. Even after last night, I don't think any. You know, I don't. I, you take away the weight cut, you do it at fifty four. I just I I don't see I don't see a path to victory for him. So like. Spence has overcame tragedy like with Flair several times. Like I thought the Garcia fight and the Ugas fight, like those are like his two comeback fights, and he looked phenomenal in both of those. Yeah, you know he really dogged it out against Usyk. People were questioning his. You mean Ugas, right? Yeah, isn't that what I said? What I say? You said Usyk. Oh yeah, against Ugas, he uh, he. Uh... He dogged it out against him. People were, you know, questioning how his body would hold up. And he faced a little adversity to that fight and still rose to the occasion. And Ugas is, is, in my opinion, a top three or four welterweight. He beat Sean Porter, in my opinion. Yeah, he um, is. Um, the the um, narrative about Ugas was so weird. Like, I, I don't think I've seen a narrative for um... – the loser of the fight flipped so drastically after um, Ugas lost because a lot of people were saying, well, this is a risky fight for um, Spence to take on a comeback. Um, Ugas is a very live dog in this fight. He could win. Then all of a sudden, Spence did what he did to him, and then all of a sudden, he was old or he wasn't good. or No, I mean, look, I, I said this I said this the other day. I think Ugas is, is Spence's most impressive victory. Absolutely. I agree. And what's, what's absolutely crazy is you and I are in agreement that Spence's best tool is the jab. He did not really use it in that fight. Yeah, it was every time he shot his jab, he was getting he. Or you mean in the Ugas fight or in the, the Ugas, Crawford fight? in the Ugas fight? In the... I would have to I would have to to rewatch that fight. Um, but um, it was that was an impressive fight for sure. Oh yes, and uh, a lot of people were mad. I don't know how you felt about it. I I hypothesize you're in agreement with me. Um, a lot of people are mad that he was fighting Ugas rather than Crawford next. But it's like if there's the biggest fight in the world, like that can possibly be made, like possibly going to be made. Why wouldn't you want it for all four belts instead of all three? So I was happy that he was fighting Ugas next. Yeah, I mean that was it was a that was a smart business decision. So, um, I. I you know, obviously, people waited for Crawford Spence for a long time. 
I don't think that it, you know, that it over marinated. You know, I think. Yeah, no. I think we took a, I think we took a long time to get there, but I don't think the fight was past its expiration date, like Floyd Pacquiao. Oh no, absolutely not. And it, it was still like a night to remember, as one sided as it was. Yeah, it was. You know, you, you can't argue that both guys, you know, you can't argue that either guy was was past his prime. I mean, because the older guy won the fight, you know, so. Yeah, exactly. Uh, ben um, didn't look himself, but I mean, he also fought arguably the best fighter in the world. So, yeah. Is there yeah. is there any fights you would maybe want to ask me about before we wrap this up? Um. I think we covered, you know, we covered a lot of fights. Yeah, yeah, we did. I'm super. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. trying to think of, uh, trying to think what's what's coming up. It, it was really hard to look past or look at anything past Spence Crawford. You know, I'm sitting here thinking like, man, what are boxing fans going to even talk about now? Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, yeah, man, I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah, um, like we said at the start, a lot has happened, and I mean, there's still a lot that can happen. The year's only really half over, and some change. So, it's been a great year. Um, yeah, it's been phenomenal, and that that's why, like we were talking about, better be Evan Bivol. This would be literally the perfect year for that Daddy, to happen. Need to talk to you. Where is it? Colby, I'm on the phone. Okay, sorry, but no, it's. it's it's oh, okay. that's okay. happy to folks. Tell me sorry for the meat. Okay. Yeah, I got a 10 minute in the nighttime. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry. No, I Introduce the listeners to my daughter, Colby. A special guest appearance. But, uh, <laughs> but I'll let you take care of it, man. Uh, it was awesome having you on here. I, I'm glad we could do this, especially spontaneously. So um yeah, thank you so much, man. Yeah, man, we'll have to get we'll get together after the next big fight. Absolutely. Hope we can get uh Joseph Glover on the next show finally. Man, he's got a heavy month of making memes ahead of him. Absolutely. It'll be hard I, to pin I, that guy down. I don't know what was more satisfying, like the fact we got that fight or we get to see Joseph Glover's memes. Man. <laughs> Glover is the greatest. He's got both yeah. sides of the street just man. <laughs> <laughs> that, that Lord Jamar one lives rent free in my head. Oh my gosh, that was hilarious. <laughs> but, uh, Glo- Glover the goat. Yeah. Goat Glover. But um have a phenomenal night, man. Thank you once again. Alright, man. I'll be back. Sounds great. Adi Boomayez out. <laughs>